Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the suburbs of New York City. An apartment back in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Andrew, how are you? It's, it's good to be back in the same country, if not the same studio. Welcome home, my friend. Thank you. Ireland was magnificent. The, the country's going through a heat wave. Mm. Beautiful weather. Um, and, and it just pops. Ireland, you know, people think of rain and greenness. Yes, but all the greenness had, had already started. It was beautiful and lush. And now the sunshine just adds to the country. It's, I know it's not a great time for travel right now in the world, but uh, Ireland is in rare form right now. Well, that's very nice to hear. I'm glad you had a, a nice time back with your family um, and your friends. Wait, is it right for me to say welcome home when you come back here? Or do you consider Ireland still to be your home? Like which, no, which two, one should be the welcome home? Two homes. Two okay. homes. Just say welcome back. Eh, I guess create, that covers Don't create an international incident over it, Andrew. <laughs> uh, I was actually in my homeland as well this past weekend. Where's yeah. that? The uh, land of Philadelphia. That's right. Ah. Yeah. Upper Dublin. I wasn't there. I was actually in the city proper, as they say. Um, what were you doing? It was like a little, a buddy of mine had a, like a baby shower picnic kind of thing, but we made oh, a whole, that sound, oh, that's horrendous. No, oh, it was Jesus. actually fun. It was, it was almost like a reunion because there were so many of my friends there that I haven't seen in a year and a half. Uh, yeah. so it was actually wound up being great. Yeah. Except I, that I, my, I Except that my youngest son, Luke is an utter maniac and chasing him around. He's an animal. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he like wants to like everything right in his mouth. doesn't matter what it is, like right in his mouth. And so like you just get, like there, there was a water balloon toss kind of thing. All the like the balloon like pieces, right? Every, all of them right in, right in, right. In. I mean, he's crazy. Yeah. But anyway, it was fun. We took the kids to museums uh, like little. It doesn't sound fun. I got to be honest with you. Trying to keep your child from ingesting various no, that, plastic yeah, that objects. Part, that part wasn't fun, but the rest I've of it was, su- was great. Yes, I love reunions to the backdrop of screaming brats. Boy, you really sound like you're ready for children. I can't wait for that day to come. <laughs> Sad, because I think you'd be a great father, but uh, the world will probably be deprived of that. There is no evidence to suggest I'd be a good That's father. That's true. You're that. very selfish. That, that is true. Yeah. You're not ready to live your life for another, only for you. Correct. Uh, let's talk, JJ. We're going to talk with Doug McIntyre of Fox Sports in just a few minutes about some Gold Cup stuff, about uh, what's going on at, at, at Atlanta United FC. Uh, so that's a couple minutes away, but let's start with some of our own thoughts on these issues, specifically the gold cup. We'll start there because the group stage has wrapped. The U S have won their group. They are uh, into the quarterfinals. We, as of time of recording, we are still not sure who their opponent will be, but we know they're through. Uh, so uh, I guess we'll just give some initial impressions and thoughts on the team so far, specifically just kind of like wrapping up their group stage portion of this tournament. I mean, ultimately on paper, they did what they're supposed to do. They won all three games. Uh, They beat Martinique soundly, which was of the three, you know, maybe you would have liked more than one sound beating, but that was definitely the one that you needed to see. You got that. Um, They won their group, which is what we would have expected, despite the fact that Canada has certainly improved uh, and our game competition, which we'll talk more in depth about. Um, So that's the on paper part of it. When you, like actually watch these games, there are certainly 
some concerns. There are certainly some issues. L- mm. Let's look mainly at the most recent match in the Canada match. I mean, look, as far as starts to games go, you literally cannot start a game better. I mean, 20 seconds in, Shaq Moore, a well-worked goal. Kellen Acosta gets it to Sebastian Legett, who plays in a perfect ball across the mouth of goal. And Shaq Moore made a great run. And they talked about it on the broadcast, how um, Tejan Buchanan is a really nice young player. But the one thing that Greg Berhalter and the U.S. identified in him is that they thought if, they, if we make him have to defend, we think that there's vulnerability there. And within 30 seconds, they were testing him. He failed that initial test. Moore ran right by him and scored a goal. I mean, so in terms of the way that game started, perfect. Yeah, uh, in terms of how the rest of the 88 minutes of the game went, not so perfect. It was, I I was pleased. I had just gotten off the plane uh, from from Ireland, and I was so pleased that I had not seen the Haiti or Martinique games, if this was the fair or the the level of football that was served up, because I thought they were dreadful. Well, the Martinique game was, look, I mean, it's Martinique, so uh, not to be arrogant American, there's a maybe a little bit of like an asterisk on that, but that game to watch Daryl DK play the way that he did. It's what we want to see from him specifically. That game was fun, I suppose, as fun as, as a game like that can be, but yes, like I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, th- I thought the performance against Canada was, was dreadful, honestly dreadful. Now there was some good, there were some good individual performances within it, but in terms of a team trying to, you know, I, I think the thing that struck me was that, the amount of control Canada had almost from the first hydration break onwards of the game. And they were, I mean, Canada for their part were absolutely inept in the box. It was like, so they were struck down. Once they get into the box, they, they couldn't do anything. They were completely blunt. Um, but the fact is they kept the majority of the possession from the U S the U S I mean, you're struggling to think of really good passages of play and chances created by the U.S. after that initial flurry and in maybe the first 15 minutes of the game. Um, it was just it was just really bad. And the midfield had no control whatsoever in it. Uh, overran by the Canadian midfield. Canada seemed to have always one more guy, uh, you know, numbers-wise in the centre of the park. Kind of a throwback to that Bearhalter uh, defeat, which probably was the worst moment of his managerial reign so far of the national team in Toronto in the Nations League. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is an average Canada side. It, it's the first stout team that the U.S. have faced in the Gold Cup, and they looked uh, less than ordinary. Yeah. Um, and look, if you're an optimist, all of the things that you just said there are true, but they won. So in tournament play, there's something to be said oh, for, yeah. not, for not playing well and winning against there- decent opposition. There's a lot of that going around right now. I mean, oh, this is our B or C squad and we still beat them. All right. Okay, fine. But for me, I'm looking at a, a kind of a longer view. I keep saying this and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. There's World Cup qualifying coming up. Forget the Gold Cup for a second. There's World Cup qualifying coming up. And if you're looking from that performance on Sunday for guys who are going to be able to step in when inevitably the, the A squad, if you want to call them that, suffers injuries, suffers casualties, suffers absences. How many of those guys are going to do the job that you want them to do in the white heat of battle in World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF? I would say there was maybe two or three from, from what we've seen so far that you would be confident in. Sands, Vines, um, Robinson, I guess. Uh, Matt Turner did well, made a couple of good saves. But outside of that, there's not a ton there 
for me to get very excited about, certainly not in, in the forward line and not in the midfield sector. Well, the, the forward line in the Canada game, was it just didn't work. They tried the two up top with Zardes and, and DK, both individually on their own throughout this tournament have had moments, but playing together in that game, it, did, it just didn't work. I don't know and if it was a lack of they, chemistry, lack of ideas. Yeah, and sorry to cut across, Andrew, they couldn't get them the ball. It's very hard to be very good in, in, in the centre-forward position if you can't get the ball. And also, when they got them the ball, DK and Zardes couldn't hold it up. So, Yeah, no, that was poor. It, it is funny, though. Like, sometimes the, the differences between you and I, are there. they become so crystal clear. Because for me, coming into this tournament, like I said, it, it didn't need to be title or bust. This was important for the development of these players, and it's de- and it's very important. The whole basically the whole point of this tournament for the U.S. is to identify guys who can contribute in World Cup qualifying. So for me, if you are going to sit here, like you almost painted it as a negative. Okay, we didn't play well. Uh, how many guys looked like they could step up and actually do a job for you in World Cup qualifying? Maybe two or three. Like for me, I looked at that and I said, okay, if we exited this tournament with two or three more players that felt like we could now insert into world cup qualifying and not feel like there's a big drop off. That's a, I almost view that as a success. Yeah. I, I, and, and you're probably right. Um, I'm just angry. I had to watch 90 minutes of it. Like I suppose what I'm doing, oh, relax. Is I am oscillating between a long view and also the short term view of that, of having to watch that game. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I I'm looking within the tournament at the performance as a single state. And I'm also projecting forward to the World Cup qualifiers. So I'm all over the place, really. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just, it, it was the lack of control for me. That was I, the thing that really got to me. It's like, Canada are bossing this here. And this is, you know, I, I tweeted, there isn't a hope, not a prayer that Canada will score in this game. Such was, once they got into the box, it was... It was inept. So, and oftentimes just outside of the box. I, I agree with what you're saying on this. And it almost, again, the U.S. won, and they did so by way of a shutout, which is very encouraging. Their defense were tested in this game, and they passed that test. But it's almost enough to make me, in a weird way, wish that the Walker-Zimmerman incident had been given as a penalty and that Canada tied the game 1-1 and it forced the U.S. to maybe be a little more direct, a little more attack-minded, because I would have liked to have seen that version of the game instead of the one that we saw, which was kind of just defend, 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 make no attempt to really take the initiative back. 100%. I think they were given an absolute lifeline by the fact that that wasn't given as a penalty. It's a stonewall penalty. I was going to ask you if you thought it was. Oh yeah, I, I hadn't yeah. seen your I, I hadn't seen your tweets or comments on it. <laughs> no, I, I I tweeted it was it was a complete penalty. Uh, the little bit of, I suppose the, the fly in the ointment for some uh, U.S. fans was the little bit of jostling that happened outside of the box between the two of them. But but that happens between center back and forward, and and that was nothing more than a little bit of let's call it arm play, and and Zimmerman falls on his legs in the box. It's a penalty, and I would have liked to have seen how the U.S. reacted to that. And, and they would have had to come out and play a little bit more, go for the win, we think. But what we saw after that was just a little bit submissive. Well, all right, JJ, let's let's just continue this right now uh, with a longtime friend of this podcast, Doug McIntyre, now of Fox Sports. Uh, he joins us to talk more Gold Cup and about some of the, uh, the things going on at Atlanta United FC. Doug, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good, Andrew. How are you? How are you, JJ? I'm doing OK, Doug. I'm doing OK. 
you caught Good. me at a, a bad moment just slagging off the US men's national team. I, I apologize. <laughs> I, I was I was in the heat of the moment there. Let's start with that uh, while we're talking about it here. I mean, Doug, the U.S. ultimately, like JJ and I were saying, they win the group, which is obviously good. Um, but some of the performances were maybe less than what a lot of U.S. soccer fans were hoping for. What were some of your biggest takeaways, uh, I suppose, from the group stage? Absolutely. I mean, the you know they 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 win all three games. They win the group. On the one hand, a little hard to quibble with that. On the other hand, the, uh, you know, the performances I thought left a lot to be desired. I mean, you, you almost throw away the, the, the middle game, the Martinique game. I mean, that's a team that's completely overmatched. It's a team of, you know, not full professional players. Um, and, you know, even after the match, U.S. coach Berhalter said, you know, we're not going to make any assessments on any players based on that game. So you, you kind of throw it out and then you look at the other two games and, and Haiti, always plays the Americans tough. And that was the case in the, in the, in the opener, but you'd expect more from the U S team in that game. And I agree with you guys about the, the Canada game. I mean, if that, you know, you can argue it's a penalty, it's not a, uh, you know, it was, you know, the U S team did not really do much going forward outside of that, that early goal. So I can understand why fans of the U S team would have some concerns going into the knockout round. Doug, is this a personnel thing or is it a, a shape thing, a formation thing. What do you think is behind the labored performances? Yeah, it's it's a tough question. I mean, you look look there. It's a good question, rather. It's a it's a tough spot, I think for for Berhalter in that you know this is and he he'll say otherwise, but this is an an experimental team in an experimental tournament. There's you know there's guys that are being shoehorned into roles that you know probably don't suit them. We've seen Matthew Hoppy out in the wing. I think most people think he's the center forward. Uh, or, or a more central players, Jossi Zardes, you know, we saw him out on the wing a little bit. He's a guy that um, for the last number of years has been played exclusively at both club and international level as, as kind of a number nine. So, uh, you know, that that's part of it, but you know, those are excuses and there really are, you know, there are no excuses that they should be better. They have, you know, they have enough person. You would think they would create a bit more going forward. And that, I mean, to me, that's the big, that's the big worry. Uh, if you're a U.S. fan, they're just, you know, again, outside of that Martinique game, which you don't really count, the defending in that match was not anything close to what you'd consider international standard, uh, where chances are, are hard to come by. And, you know, the U.S. was not not able to break down a Canadian team that's good, but they, you know, they should be able to get more than one goal from the run against a team like that. Doug, one of the things with this Gold Cup that we were kind of looking at was, okay, we would like to win this tournament, of course, uh, but more so almost, it seems like it's being treated as like a, a glorified tryout for players who can take part and, and do a job for the U.S. in World Cup qualifying. Uh, so with that being the case, who is passing that test so far? Who are some of the guys that are standing out to you that you think, okay, we could maybe bring them to some of these World Cup qualifiers, and if they have to see some time on the field, it won't be much of a drop-off. Who do you look at so far for that? Yeah, good question. I mean, you got to look at Shaq Moore. You know, he scores the goal the, the other game or last game against Canada. You know, he's a guy that would not be starting in this tournament if Reggie Cannon was healthy, um, but he's he's acquitted himself well. Now, right back, I mean, you've got, you know, DeAndre Yedlin, Cannon, you've got Sergino Desk can play there. So, you know, I don't I don't know that, that Moore's a guy that, you know, is immediately going to going to be with the the full team when World Cup qualifying starts, let alone a starter. But he's a guy that's acquitted himself well. Matt Turner in goal, uh, you know, he he's he's had two clean sheets. The only goal against a penalty against Martinique. 
Um, you know, still some concerns about, you know, can he play out of the back with his feet, which is going to be required. Uh, we think full team, it's, it's the way of the modern game. There's no way around it, but he's done just fine. Um, you know, Daryl DK is impressed again, you know, Mart Martinique say what you want, but he, he put the ball in the net. His second goal, I thought he took really well, um, you know, showed a few, a few different deft touches on that one play. And striker is a position that's wide open for this team. I mean, you know, Josh Sargent is the incumbent there, but, you know, competition is great, is great in that, in, in any position, but at striker particularly. And, and Daryl DK has done nothing, you know, to, to suggest that he's not, you know, he's not able to step right into a qualifier if he's needed. He brings something a little bit different, I think, than any of the other strikers in the pool. And, and he's a guy who's improving before our eyes. So, you know, those are, those are, those are the guys that stand out, I think, uh, you know, on an individual level. Now, I, I agree with you, JJ. I, I'm looking at this as an experimental tournament. I'm more interested in which guys can help this team during World Cup qualifying when it really starts. But I can tell you inside the team, that's not, that's not the thought. They want to win this tournament. They want to, you know, winning's a habit. It's a cliche, but it's true. And the U.S. with its full team won the Nations League. And I think that, you know, the idea is that they, you know, the, the – the priority here is to win this tournament. And if they win the tournament and Walker Zimmerman had a good quote before the Canada game, he said something like, you know, if we, if we win this tournament, that's going to reflect well on, on all of us individually. I think that's, I think that's really what, what it's about. And if the U S wins this tournament, you're going to forget maybe uh, about some of these lackluster performances that we've seen in the group stage. Okay. Do you, do you see many changes? I know we don't, at this moment of recording, we don't know who they're going to face next Sunday in the quarterfinal, but do you, what kind of lineup do you expect with, with the knowledge that, that Bearholder has accrued over the three group games? What, what kind of changes do you see him making or do you see him making any, any changes? Yeah, I mean, I think, JJ, the, 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 the team he put out against Canada was his first choice lineup. I mean, we saw some guys that were that were clearly rested against Martinique. Um, you know, there, there's some question marks with the injuries we've seen. Again, I think Cannon is a really important player. He's a guy that is a first team player. I mean, he's part of that first 23, maybe not as a starter, um, but, you know, he's, he's one of only a few guys on the squad that you can say that about. And if he's healthy, I think you might, you might see him on the field. We're not sure about Paul Arioli yet. And I, I, you know, he got injured early in the first game. I, I haven't seen that, you know, there's been a change. CONCACAF announced that there are some injury replacements available. I'm curious if Berhalter, um, you know, uses that option. Haven't seen anything, you know, as of this recording yet on that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, if all things are the same, I think we're going to see, if not the exact same lineup we saw against Canada, very close to it. Doug McIntyre joining us here on Caught Offside. So, Doug, I, I wanted to switch gears to what happened with Atlanta United FC um, in the past few days with Gabriel Heinze. He is gone now as their manager after what was it just 17 games total in charge. And you have a column up at, at foxsports.com with a couple quotes here that are just jarring. Uh, the first one being the tactics and soccer side are one thing, but there was so much going on off the field that players were mentally drained on a daily basis. One source inside the club said another quote, it was hell every day for six yeah. months. Uh, that's from another source of Heinz's tenure. So with that, being the case, and with that in mind, I guess my initial question is, Darren Eels, Carlos Bocanegra, when they hired this guy, did they know what they were signing up for? They they certainly should have known, Andrew, uh, in my opinion. I mean, this is, this is a guy that's that's making a seven-figure salary. He's he's a well-known, you know, name. He, you know, as a player, we watched him play for Manchester United, for Real Madrid. 
um, you would think that some of this would come up in the vetting process. I mean, you would, you would, you would think it would. Um, it, it doesn't seem like, you know, based on what we've seen the last few days, that, that it was a secret even coming in. And you can also argue that if some of this stuff was going on very early, you know, why, why wasn't there a change made even sooner? I mean, if you, you're talking about, you know, to the point where, you know, the team medical staff has to step in and say, hey, you can't do this. I mean, that's a huge red flag. Um, so, you know, I, I believe it was, it was handled, you know, the idea was to handle it internally. Um, but from, from every person I've spoken to, they've said that, you know, Gabriel was just not, not willing to give an inch, not compromise. It's pretty shocking that, you know, that that hire was made and, and, you know, just went up in flames so, so quickly. And, and it does fall at the feet of, of Carlos Bocanegra and, and Darren Eels. I mean, they're, they're the guys that hired Gabriel Heinze. And it comes on the heels of tackle we saw with Frank Dubois, a, 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 another horrible fit who, you know, was fired less than a year ago, guys. I mean, this is two high-profile international coaches, um, you know, that they've had and, and have had to get rid of in, 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 in less than 12 months. So, you know, there's – it's obvious that uh, – you know, that, you know, those were major, major failures. And yeah, the buck stops with the guys at the, at the top of the, uh, the leadership, you know, charted at, at United. Doug, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about, about Eels and, and Bocanegra really, because it seems to me they, they got a type in Tata Martino. They got this uh, intense, uh, very, very well, uh, you know, well-experienced manager, and they struck gold and they tried to deviate away from that with Frank DeBoer. And then they went back to this Bielsa school of management with Gabriel Heinze. Like he, he ticked all the boxes in that sense. Um, and they've, <laughs> do you get the sense that they know what exactly they're doing right now? And I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to either of them, but the fact that they got off to such a, a good start with Tata Martino and then, you know, the pivot to Frank, the board made no sense to anybody. And then they try and scramble to get back to that original plan. I mean, what can we expect next from them? Are they going to, are they going to now go back to a more, a more placid European style coach or, or, you know, what's happening there? It's a, it's a great question. You know, my, my early agents are that they're looking outside the country again, uh, which okay. is, is, is curious. And in a way, Atlanta has been a victim of its own success. I mean, I think they, you know, there was an element of, of, of luck involved, certainly with what happened the first few years, you know, everything they did it, everything that, that Eels and Bocanegra touched turned to gold. Martino was a, was a coup. Um, and he came in and he showed unlike Gabriel Heinz and, and folks inside the club have pointed this out. You know, there were some, there were some growing pains to Martino as well, but he did show a, a willingness to be flexible and, and to learn and to evolve and, adapt to his environment at least a little bit and you know there were there was some friction behind the scenes I think with with between Martino and Bocanegra that that sort of led uh and and probably Eels as well but I've heard Bo, Bocanegra and, and and Tata did not have a good relationship by the time that, that Tata left mm -hmm. there um and I and you know I think that that's why there was you know there was such a drastic change to go to a, a completely different you know personality in in, in Frank DeBoer and um, and yes, I mean, to go back, you know, they go back to a South American coach, they go back to another Argentine with, with Heinze, but 
you know, the, you know, personality wise, he's completely different. And from a, from a soccer point of view, he's completely different as well. I mean, the great thing about those early uh, Atlanta United teams were, you know, how the way they attacked with abandon and, and much of that was to do with Miguel Almiron, who was just such a live wire as a player. He'd pick the ball up in midfield and he'd just go and he'd put teams on their heels and they were so exciting. Um, and then, you know, it's a more defensive style under, under DeBoer, you know, uh, again, a victim of their success. They sell, you know, Tata goes to Mexico to go, to go coach the Mexican national team. Miguel Almiron gets sold for a, a, a nice profit to the Premier League. And they bring in the reigning South American player of the year, Pitti Martinez, to replace him. But again, completely different kind of player. And, you know, it's hard to get that mix right. I mean, it's the most difficult thing in, in, in sports. And, you know, it, it just, it didn't work out under DeBoer. And, and, you know, when you look at, at Gabby Heinze, you're right. He's from that Bielsa school, which is, is defensive minded, you know, it just, I mean, that's, that's what it is. It's, you know, they, they, they press, they, they sit in, they do, you know, they, they make it, they make life miserable on the opponent rather than taking the game to them. I mean, it, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you, when you, when you think about it and when you think about the, the personnel and, the results on the field speak for themselves. I mean, it's, you know, there's a combination here. It's, and, and obviously one's related to the other. The players are miserable and not performing well, um, you know, but if the team was playing well and it was a, a positive, you know, sort of, sort of, you know, exciting system, then, you know, that can paper over a lot of this sort of stuff, uh, you know, that coaches pull. I don't know if it would have been able to, you know, to overcome, you know, some of these horror stories that we've heard. Um, but yeah, it's in hindsight, when you look at it, it's a really curious choice that, that the leadership made there. It's one thing to be as intense as Bielsa, but if the good football doesn't follow, then you're, you're absolutely screwed. Abs yeah, that's right. Doug, one element of this that I find really interesting is the Gabriel Einza, Joseph Martinez dynamic. Uh, because as we know, Martinez, he, I mean, he had kind of been sent off into exile um, in the latter stages of this Heinze short tenure. And uh, Martinez is just like, I, I picture these scenarios in my head of, like you talked about, Gabriel Einza denying players water. And Joseph Martinez just doesn't strike me as a guy who would be having that. He, I just picture him saying, no, I'm, I'm going to drink yeah. this water. Like, what was the genesis of their falling out? Was it as simple as that? Well, I can tell you, I mean, everyone thought that, you know, the reason why Heinze gets fired is that, you know, he's benched is, is the, the, the face of the team, the team's best player. And, you know, basically that Martinez won and, and Heinze lost. And, and again, I, I don't think that's, you know, that it certainly didn't help. And I think it speeded up Heinze's departure, but I think it was all this other stuff that, that really, you know, made the difference there. Um, in terms of their falling out, I, I do have an idea what happened. Um, uh, but nothing I, I can, I can report, but I can tell you that, you know, th these are two guys with massive egos and, you know, they were not on speaking terms, um, for, for a good portion of time before Heinz was, was let go. I mean, they, you know, and, and, and the com communication is one of the, one of the, the, the things that, you know, multiple sources that I spoke to talked about, like Heinz, didn't talk to his players. He would have an assistant or an intermediary go and, and, you know, have those conversations. Uh, and that was certainly the case uh, with Joseph Martinez. I mean, there was no relationship to speak of between these two men, uh, you know, in, in the weeks leading up to Heinz's departure, none whatsoever. That's, that's just insane to me. Um, yeah. One question, cause I don't know much about the guy off the field, but 
I remember when uh, Joseph Martinez signed his uh, his new deal and it was seen as a, a big deal that a player would play uh, of his quality would play his prime years in MLS. And, and I totally agree with why Atlanta wanted to do that. Yeah. But is there a sense at all from anything, you know, from from any vibes you get that they have created something of a monster with this guy? I, I don't know, JJ. I, I haven't heard anything like that, to be right. fair. And and look, I mean, Martinez, he tore his was he tore his ACL, I believe, right? In one of yeah. the first the first couple, if it wasn't the first game, it was the second uh in 2020. Then the pandemic strikes. Last year's a wash. I mean, we know what this guy's capable of sure. when he's healthy. I mean, you're talking about one of the greatest scores that the league has ever seen, pure pure goal scores. Um, and you know, they <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think it was the wrong decision to hold on to him at all. No. I think that, you know, I think that he is he's part of the solution, Atlanta. I don't think he's part of the problem. Yeah, that, I, I I would agree with that. I was just digging, Doug, to 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 find okay. out if if there was of anything course. as you anything. should, JJ. Yeah. Um. One one more thing. I do yeah. think that the uh the light and the attention that uh, Einza has has taken and uh, kind of spread across this whole Atlanta United debacle has taken away some spotlight from his former teammate, Phil Neville at Inter-Miami. I, I don't think enough people are talking about how badly this has gone so far, Doug. Um, is there any sign this is going to get better? I haven't seen it yet. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... And you're right. I mean, it, it's, it's... I don't think it's been talked about a lot. I mean, it, it's part of the, you know, the nature of you know, the, the wall-to-wall options available for the soccer viewing public this summer. I mean, yeah. there's been so much focus on the Euros and the storyline there, the Copa America and the storylines there. And of course, MLS, you know, took a bit of a break now back um, for, for the Gold Cup. So we've been talking about all, all those other things. But yeah, I mean, an, another hiring that, you know, I think raised a lot of eyebrows from the start. And, you know, when you're under that kind of scrutiny, you, you know, you need you need to come out of the gates flying and, and, you know, Phil Neville has, has, has struggled. And it's pretty amazing because, you know, again, when I, you know, the idea that Atlanta, you know, you have to give, you have to give some MLS clubs that are, that are trying to, you know, make some of these out of the box, hire some credit. I mean, Atlanta's, you know, part of their problem is they swung for the fences. I mean, they went mm -hmm. for, you know, the, the managers they've gone for are, are, you know, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty well-known respected managers, or at least they were, you know, when they were hired on the international level. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's remarkable. And you, you know, you can talk about Fred Bourne, should they have hired him after how poorly he did at Crystal Palace and at Inter Milan. But uh, you know, that you got to give the clubs credit for going after these guys. But the interesting part of it is, you know, the record of foreign coaches in MLS is not good. And Tata Martino was the exception. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a unique league. There's rules and, and regulations that are just so foreign. I mean, they drive me nuts and I've covered this league for nearly 20 years for a foreign coach to come in from the outside and have to deal with it. There's a huge, huge learning curve. And, you know, I'm not, su I'm not surprised Phil Neville struggled and, and, you know, anyone who's been paying attention to this league probably feels the same way. And when he came in, everyone said, oh, it's because he's David Beckham's buddy. And, you know, Beckham said, oh, no. And but I mean, when you look at it, it looks like that was, you know, it's certainly a reason. I don't know if it was the biggest factor, but, you know, he his name recognition is, is what got him that job. And 
and you know he's he's struggled and and i i don't see i don't see things getting getting better soon i don't see them making a miraculous turnaround and making the playoffs this year so it'll be curious to see how you know how that situation plays out in miami no good stuff man we've always loved having you on the show we're super pumped that you're with fox sports now very cool and um we look forward to uh, catching up with you again down the line thanks doug Anytime, guys. Pleasure was mine. Thanks for having me on. It's great to see you guys. Thanks to Doug McIntyre for joining us, uh, talking about Gold Cup, Atlanta, the Atlanta stuff. Sometimes you you scratch your head. Like the detail is so interesting. The water. Like what manager in his right mind in 2021 thinks the denial of water is a good thing, a motivational thing, a thing that will help his side from any like from any standpoint. It's you so know? dumb. It's so dumb. It's so petty. It's so unnecessary. And like, look, I'm not saying that there isn't a place for like uh, the tough guy manager in today's game in, in any sport. Like there is a place. Yeah, for I that. agree with you. Like that, that, that's fine. But like denying your players of water, like that to me, that's kind of like going beyond the borders of what is a tough manager. Like that's almost just like bullying your team, like some kind of like show of authority. Like, look how I control you. I control, you know, everything about your life. I control the, how much water you drink. Like, like these are professionals. You know, like, I just think that, that kind of thing is, I don't know, find me the player that, that will respond positively to that because I know I wouldn't, uh, I don't know anybody in this day and age that would have a manager like that and want to run through a wall for him. I just, I don't get it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm not saying this will be the last job he ever has. And maybe this will be a, a some kind of you know learning process for him to have gone through this and maybe he'll change in some way. But like, if I were a player and that guy was managing a club, I'd say to my agent, nah, look elsewhere. I got no interest in playing for that guy. Now, why do you want that drama? And also to top things off, if there's one player you cannot alienate on Atlanta, you, you just simply can't do it. It's Joseph Martinez. <laughs> Don't you just love the, like I, I, like I was saying to Doug, I just pictured this in my head of like Joseph <laughs> Martinez walking over to grab a bottle of water and Gabrielle Einstein being just like, what do you think you're doing? Like, <laughs> how do you think Joseph Martinez would respond to that? Like, <laughs> oh, I can, I can just imagine his face. Yeah, you know, he'd laugh. I think he'd laugh. Like, I really I think, think he, would, he would just laugh. I don't think he's a guy. He doesn't strike me as a guy who would get angry, get in a shouting match. I think he'd just kind of like smile, laugh, drink the, the bottle of water, and then probably like throw the empty bottle at Gabriel Heinz's feet. That's what I, I think. Picture. I think he would remain laughing as he chugged a second bottle of water <laughs> in front of him. You know, unbelievable stuff. Crazy, really crazy. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, uh, and I also think I, I tried to tease it out a bit with, with Doug. With, is this like, you know, they talk about the NFL being a copycat league, you know, what one coach does, another coach will do that kind of, that kind of thing. And, and soccer in many ways is not, maybe not a copycat league, but a, a, a world of where there are accepted truths. And one of the accepted truths is that Bielsa Klopp style football and that kind of intensity is absolutely what you need to be doing. And you shouldn't deviate away from anything. And Atlanta literally tried to re-energize the spirit of a previous manager in Tata Martino, a Bielsa disciple too. And it's just blown up spectacularly in their faces. And I am so curious to see what direction they go in now. I mean, where do they go now? Because that oh. blueprint, that blueprint is burned. I'll tell you what, a, uh, a certain Dutch manager with some Atlanta history is uh, now available. 
Suddenly the Frank DeBoer years don't feel so bad, do they? He said, did, did I hear a quote? Or did I misread this? Or is this, did I, was this some fever I'm kidding, dream? By where, the way. I'm kidding, everyone. I know, but did I read, and, and our listeners will, will tell me, I, I, I see way too much information on the internet, but that DeBoer, DeBoer's agent said he would be open to a return or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I wasn't You know kidding. what? Andy, I had not ta- seen that. You talk a little bit and I'm going to have a look at, at I'm going to have a look for that because I surely saw it somewhere. Um, or maybe, maybe, maybe they try Ronald DeBoer this time. Yeah. And based on Ronald's own comments about his brother, it seems like their philosophies are actually quite different. So maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe that would actually be beneficial and work out for them. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what they do. I will say some of what Doug had to say about the, uh, the hierarchy at Atlanta and some of what you've said, you know, Bacanegra seemingly having a falling out with Tata Martino mm. and, you know, like then from there going the DeBoer route, from there going the Heinze route, like Atlanta, th- those guys, Eels, Bocanegra have experienced an incredible amount of success in a very short window. They have energized that fan base in a way that we almost haven't seen elsewhere in terms of, you know, teams who have just like exploded on the map and could immediately put 75,000 people in stadiums consistently. Uh, So they've done an amazing job, but you're right. Like at a certain point, like DeBoer was probably strike one. Uh, This was definitely a manager who lasts 17 games and has a falling out with an entire team. That is very much, that is an emphatic strike too. Now, I don't know if they're working on tries to turn them into human prunes. I I don't know if they're working on a three strike (laughs) system here because they definitely built up a lot of equity with how they built this team. Like I said, Um, but these are, these are now things that are starting to build and they're going to have to get this next one, right? Uh, Doug Robertson of the AJC, which is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution newspaper. Uh, Doug is their reporter. He tweeted this on July 18th, so two days ago. A person familiar with Frank DeBoer, and I'm being serious, said he would be glad to return to Atlanta United and MLS. So one hat is in the ring. <laughs> There's something, there is something deeply, deeply tragic, though, about the Frank DeBoer managerial story these last few years. Like, comic tragedy just I can't tell you how good a player he was. I can't tell you how the DeBoer name was revered in football. Yeah. And this is wow. He's the punchline on this podcast now. Yeah. Kind of not what you want. No, no. Thank you, Joe Girardi. Uh, That's about it for part one of this podcast, JJ. Um, I I guess actually one more thing. The last thing I I did want to say uh, that Doug was talking about there. Cause I meant to mention this guy earlier, uh, but back to the gold cup for one last second here. Okay. I know we talked about some of the concerns I did want to say about James Sands, how good he's looked so far. That has been encouraging. Uh, Miles Robinson has also looked very good. I saw Christian Roldan was talking about him. He said, miles in particular saves us so much running with his one V one defending. He's such a fantastic guy to watch. And the way he covers ground is something that we love about miles. So he has been a bright spot. And then the most intriguing one, which I mentioned on last week's podcast, and I'll say it again today. I'm so glad that Shaq Moore scored a goal because I feel like statistically that kind of like validates how good he has looked to see that he does have a goal in that column next to his name. Cause he has been so interesting. And like Doug talked about, and we said it last week as well, there is a log jam now at right back. And this, 
moving forward in this Gold Cup, I am genuinely curious to see how Greg Bearhalter handles this because like Doug said, Reggie Cannon is the first team player. Had he not suffered his injury before this tournament, he would be starting and we would not be seeing Shaq Moore except in cameo appearances, maybe against Martinique, we would have seen him more. But that is Reggie Cannon's job. And Shaq Moore right now is doing absolutely everything in his power to force Greg Bearhalter into making the most difficult decision that he'll have to make in this tournament potentially because Shaq Moore has been excellent. And I don't know how you take him out with the way he's playing. Now, maybe his leash is shorter. Now that Reggie Cannon is healthy again, maybe you just kind of have the, you know, you move forward with the sense of, okay, like you have earned this spot. You've done great. We'll go forward, but just know there's a guy banging on your door who is ready to play. So, you know, at the first sign of trouble, maybe he gets yanked out of there, but I give him credit. I give Shaq Moore so much credit uh, because he got this opportunity and he is making it really, really hard for Greg Berhalter to pull him out of there. So uh, his case in, in particular will be interesting going forward. I just wanted to get get that out there because he, yeah, he's, and been, he's he, been good. Yeah, he scored the fastest goal in recent history. Yeah, it was really something. What a start. What a start. Shades of Dempsey against Ghana. Just awesome. Ah, the Gold Cup. All right, JJ, we'll take a, a very quick break. When we come back, a couple news and notes here. Uh, also, I uh, want to mention the U.S. women as they uh, get set to embark upon their quest for Olympic gold. And of course, of course, JJ, red card and man of the match like we do every week. So all of that coming up. Uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be back with more. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. A couple news and notes to get to. You know how we love dabbling in transfer rumors. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's that sums it up. But uh, a couple quickly. I don't I don't have yeah. a ton to say on these because, like we always say, until the tweet is sent with the player in the jersey, it's almost not worth talking about. But um, when I see things like Manchester United closing in on Rafael Varane, it kind of gets my antennas up just a little bit. Now it's interesting because Real Madrid reportedly wanted like eighty million, and it, it looks like it's going to be substantially less than that, maybe in the fifty million range. However. That is still a lot of money, and that is still a massive investment that they are making at that center back position between Varane and Harry Maguire. Yeah. Uh, and so I just wonder if, like, if we look at Manchester United, something has been missing from that club for a few years now. Like, I know they've had some good seasons, and, and mm-hmm. you know, they've, they went far in the Europa League and they qualify for Champions League and all that. But in terms of being a title contender, they just they haven't been that. No. Uh, has that thing that's been missing been another top-notch center back? I mean, it's it's been it's been part of the problem. I think center back and center mid, um, yeah, it's been it's been part of the problem, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what kind of partnership Varane can form with Harry Maguire. The latest on it from um, Fabrizio Romano is that. Uh, Varane and his agents confirmed to Real Madrid his desire to try a new experience in the Premier League. He'll be respectfully waiting for the club agreement, but he wants Manchester United. So this isn't done. Right. Um, this is very much Varane wants to go to United, uh, but it it's requiring the agreement of the two clubs. And I wonder, I wonder quite why it's stalling or taking a little bit of time. Um, but I don't, uh, I, I don't know how this is going to work out. I, I do think they're short another midfielder. Um, they've got a midfield conundrum really to sort to sort out because I can they. You're talking about title challenges and you know 
they've laid down the gauntlet with uh, the Sancho signing. Varane would be another in this, uh, you know, the classic contract parlance, Andrew, statement of intent. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have a they have a midfield conundrum to sort out, and I don't think they can be in a title race if it's Fred and McTominay as that kind of screening midfielder. Um, what happens with Pogba? Yeah, this is interesting. United are in an interesting situation right now because I think that the fan base will expect them to do much better than they did last season and really be in a title race this one. Absolutely. If they go out and spend that kind of money and yep. shore up a center back pairing with Maguire and Varane, if they, they right now, they basically have 73 million kind of just set aside and waiting for the Jaden Sancho thing to come together. If that happens, I mean, if they shell out over 120 million on those two guys, hang on to Pogba, uh, you know, Rashford, we're waiting to see what his injury situation is. But like, you know, it's funny because every year we have this conversation, almost week to week, we have the conversation about Ole. And like, he gets right to the brink. You think he's going to get fired. And then like, oh, they go off and they rattle, you know, six straight wins and like all is well again. Uh, I just wonder, like, this this could very well be the year where it's like, okay, it's now or never. Like, either we're going to be a title contender or we're not. And if they're willing, if the board is willing to spend that kind of money to back Ole and what he wants, he better respond. So there's, it's going to be uh, going to be very interesting if these moves do, in fact, come to fruition. Yeah. Um, and also Arsenal, JJ, nearing a deal for Brighton's Ben White in the, oh. in the range of, what was that, also around 50 million? Yeah, I mean... Highly regarded, mm-hmm. and you know his inclusion in the England squad definitely helping things out a bit. Danny Murphy said this on on Talksport. I want you to listen to this carefully, Andrew, because this is exactly the kind of talk that transfer talk engenders. Because it's so hard to say very much about a player that you haven't seen kick a ball in a new team, who hasn't quite signed for them yet. You're trying to think how will that team look with him in in the side. Here's Danny Murphy. Is it a progression in his career? Yes, it is. It's easy to look at last season and think Arsenal won't be competitive, but they could get into the top four next season. You can only move to a club that wants you. I agree that his quality and potential is really good, and I'm surprised that Manchester United or Chelsea haven't come in for him. This this is just like a couple of amazing sentences. It's easy to look at last season and think Arsenal won't be competitive, but they could get into the top four next season. Well, what's wrong with that? How is it easy to look at to, to look at them last season and think they won't be competitive this season, but at the same time think they could get into the top four? You know, I I, I well because I don't blame Danny Murphy for this. This is the kind of talk that transfer talk makes. I mean, you. you're you're right. We're speaking in such vagaries. Oh, vagaries because, because there's vagaries. so much uncertainty. But like, look, I will. I guess you could look at Arsenal and say, okay, well, if things break their way, if, if Ben White goes through and that's a hit, like they, they've gotten rid of David Luiz, which didn't really go well for them. Uh, but, you know, Bukayo Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe, uh, if Obama Yang reverts to the player that he was two seasons ago as opposed to the player he was last season, like would, would I pick them to finish top four? No, probably not right now. But right. it's not necessarily crazy. I don't know. We, we just don't know much yet. Yeah, quick one. Um, two hours ago from Fabrizio. Uh, exclusive Tottenham and Sevilla are finalizing a, a new swap deal. Eric Lamella to Sevilla. Brian Heal or Gill. I'm not sure which. 
to Spurs. Agreement set to be reached on permanent deal. And here we go soon. Sevilla will receive 25 million euros in add-ons included as part of the deal. The Eric Lamella era is drawing to a close. What a fascinating era it was because it's just so funny. much happened. Well, so much, a happened. lot of it, a lot of it, which he was uh, tangential to, but so many time. Rabonas, so many red cards after the Rabonas, so many benchings. The thing that was so like, I don't mean to eulogize his time at Tottenham yet. We'll see when we actually do get the HWG. Here we go from, uh, from Fabrizio. Then we can go through it more, but like the, it's just so interesting because Lamella was, signed to do one thing, basically score goals and like be a prolific offensive player. He never really was that guy, but he still found a way to be a really valuable contributor for them just by being like a scrappy, annoying player, which is not who they thought they were getting. So just like what a weird, I don't know how his time at Tottenham will be viewed. Uh, He was, when they signed him, I believe he was their most expensive ever signing. Um, And like, he still wound up, in a weird way being like good for that money, but just in a way that they didn't think it was going to be it's just very, very interesting. Um, so we'll keep an eye of course on, on other potential moves moving forward. JJ, would you say that there are few things in soccer that excite you the way that like a Fabrizio Mano tweet that suddenly appears on your Twitter timeline, starting with all caps, here we go. Like I don't know, I don't even know what fo- what's going to follow it. Like it might be transferred between like Trabzonspor, you know, and, and like Bucharest. But like yeah. as long as I see here we go, like he's got me. I'm hooked. Yeah. I, I can't wait to read what's next. I mean, he's 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 copyrighted. Here we go in his uh, in his bio. <laughs> I think I think it's difficult if anyone tried to infringe upon that. I'd love if someone started like their own account, Tabrizio Dodano, and it's. <laughs> And his like uh, his his little copyrighted thing isn't here we go, but uh, you know some variation on that. You know here we are or something right. like that. And he he starts breaking the exact same things. I would love that. I think here we go is probably my three favorite words in soccer right now. Right, maybe right after VAR will look. Love when VAR takes a look. And you also love football, isn't it? Football, isn't it? Huh. Purpose for goalposts. <laughs> <laughs> Little boys in the park. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, somebody on Twitter accused me of, of or, or tried to enlighten me. He said, see, Andrew, when JJ was doing that last week, that was actually this guy called Ron Manager. Here's a link to yeah. what that is. And I was wow. like, how insulting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, but th- this, this was a guy from, I think he's from Hull in England who listens to us. Mm-hmm. So he would. No, that's just, great. That's all. I'm would, glad he listens. And I'm glad that his heart was in the right place. He wanted yeah. me. He wasn't making fun of me. He wanted me to get the joke. Little <laughs> did he know I got the joke. I think I set up the joke. But yeah. at any rate, I've never had to explain a joke to you. I don't think. No, I'm very bright. I'm a smart guy. I'm sharp as a whip. Um, I don't need much explained to me. No, it's true. Uh, but let's do some explaining right now quickly uh, as the U.S. women get ready, J.J., to embark on Olympic gold. Now, the one problem with an Olympics in Tokyo is all the I was looking through their fixture list and I was like, hmm, that is a lot of 430 a.m. start times. Yeah, that is killing the buzz. Now, <laughs> what you can do 
if you've got a, a schedule and a lifestyle that permits it, is that you can record it, you can DVR it, and you can watch it early enough in the morning. Just don't turn your cell phone on for so you won't get any notifications, score notifications, anything like that, and watch it live, if you know what I mean. That is a possibility to do that if you really are committed to watching these games. I say I do it all the time. It can be done. You just got to. And you're very, you are, you are like one of those monks that uh, European monks, usually I think they're Belgian monks who like have vows of silence. Mm -hmm. Uh, You, you commit to it. You wear the robes. You become a Luddite. You remove yourself from all uh, forms of technology and you watch the game as if it's live. It's, it's impressive. I did it with USA Canada because I was traveling back from Philly as the game was happening. I shut it down. Didn't I watched it that night when I got home? Had no idea what happened in the game. No. Had I known, I might not have watched it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it can be done. Uh, just when you wake up, if you DVR these, just like don't use, a lot of people just wake up and immediately look at their phone, and go on the internet and like, just don't do that. Just turn on your TV and watch it and then start your day. Can I ask you something about the U.S. women's quest for Olympic gold? Yeah, um, of course. Yesterday, when NBC broke the news, that the tweet, member of the U.S. women's gymnastics team who authorities did not publicly identify, tests positive for COVID-19 just days before the Tokyo Olympics is set to begin, city officials say. When I saw that, I automatically thought about the, the U.S. women's team and thought, what if this happens? Mm. You know? Yeah, every team is, is thinking that. They, yeah, and it's it's so worrying, and I wonder if, in a weird way, you know, this this could write the story for for some fringe player to like come to the fore because someone's out with COVID nineteen protocols and isolation and things like that. It's I don't know. I'm. It's not just the kickoff times that make this a very very weird Olympics for for oh, the U.S. women. JJ, these Olympics are happening under a state of emergency. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing is insane. Yes, it is. I mean, look, ultimately, I'll be happy to watch it. Like, I'm excited to watch this team play. Um, but, like, there is part of me that's like, what are they doing? Yeah. How are they sending every country on Earth to this place that's under a state of emergency because of a global pandemic? Yeah, you're right. So <laughs> the whole thing is nuts. Now, it's funny, just to, to talk about this team for a sec, um, you use the term... Um, fringe player like what yeah. if you know there's an absence that caught co- that allows a fringe player to step in uh I- i'll say this and i get i get your point i understand what you're what you're saying however i would challenge anyone to glance at this roster and find for me somebody that you would consider a fringe player like this team they, they can bring 22 um and 18 can dress on game days good luck to Andonovsky to like name his team because every single player here is a superstar. Once again, they're ridiculous. I want to roll that back. Um, That was a pretty idiotic comment, but I get, I get what you mean. I mean, like under normal circumstances. Yeah. But this team is abnormal. I mean, the talent they have. If I, if I was to say someone like, you know, Tierna Davidson, Maybe not as as a name that jumps off, but she's a defender, I suppose. Uh, but if you look at the look at the forward line, Tobin Heath, Carly Lloyd, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, Kristen Press, none of those are going to be coming under the radar. 
<laughs> right. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So the thing for me with this team is like, so I would tell fans of this team to really cherish this tournament because this team is like, I was just saying, there are only legends on this roster, but if you start to go through and look at some of the ages, you know, their captain, Becky Sauerbrunn, 36, the forwards that you just mentioned, Tobin heat, 33, Carly Lloyd, 39, Alex Morgan, 32, Megan Rapinoe, 36, Kristen press, 32 like the the baby of the forward group is lynn williams and she's 28 Mm. so like this this is a team that has they are all legends they have achieved unbelievable things for u.s women uh not just from a soccer perspective but almost from like from a movement perspective i mean this has been a unique group of women and so cherish this because i don't know how many more major tournaments you're going to see this group together so like this they're still like they're still enough in their prime where I fully expect them to win. I know that's a difficult expectation to always live up to, but that's what that's just how it is. When you achieve the levels of, of success that they do so consistently, I expect them to win. Um, and I'm gonna watch every game, and I am going to enjoy this because yeah, there there may not be you know there will be tournaments moving forward, of course, where they'll be great. I mean, Rose Lavelle's only 26. Lindsay Horan is what 27. Um, Katarina Macario, who just became a U.S. citizen, born in Brazil. She's only 21. She's the youngest on the team, and she's going to be a star, too. So it'll be good forever. Um, But this specific group has been so special to the growth of women's soccer and soccer in general in this country that I think soccer fans uh, appreciate this because, like I said, there may not be too many left of this specific group. So it should be be a fun fun ride um, through the Olympics for them, hopefully. Before we do red cards and man of the match, a little bit of breaking news from Stephen Goff of Mm -hmm. the Washington Post. Uh, Toronto FC announces forward Io Akinola suffered an ACL injury in Canada's Gold Cup game with the United States. He'll miss 2022 World Cup qualifying. It's it's very hard not to think that that is just such a huge, enormous blow for for Canada. That is brutal. And I knew something was wrong the way he went off. He looked in the, uh, I've done my ACL. So I kind of, you, you develop a, a sense for, oh, that's the knee. Uh-huh. That's just terrible. Oh man. That's, I'm sorry to hear that. And, you know, for Canada in general, they had, you know, his injury now, Alfonso Davies. It's a shame because on paper, they have some players who are really fun to watch and could, you know, that team could make noise. But they, but, now, cannot, but they can't afford injuries like that, not right. to a player of, of his quality. And now, I mean, obviously, an ACL, that's a year, eight months, yeah, nine months, something around there. So they're going to have to go through World Cup qualifying um, without him. That's, that's going to be tough for sure. Uh, all right, JJ, let's, uh, let's do this now. A little red card, man of the match. Start with the red cards here. I'm going to go first. Uh, I, I permit it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, JJ, I went with Augustin Zalazar. He is the head of coaching communications for the San Jose Earthquakes. Ah. And he's, he's also Matias, uh, Matias Almeida's translator, their manager. Uh, he, the translator, was sent off <laughs> over the weekend after getting a little too aggressive with the match referee. This is from Goal.com. Uh, they write, the Argentine manager was seen complaining to the match referee in the 70th minute with the help of his translator, Zalazar, who currently serves as San Jose's head of coaching communications. 
Almeida received a booking for his part in the incident, but Zalazar was shown red for being too forceful with his protests and subsequently stormed off in disbelief. Ah, the overzealous translator, JJ. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it was really, it was pretty humorous. Um, I, like, I was kind of hoping, and I don't think this is what happened, but I was almost hoping that he was sent off almost as like some kind of miscommunication where he is simply translating, like if Almeida is spewing curses at the, <laughs> at the referee and Zalazar is simply being the, the guy translating it, like, could there have been this miscommunication thinking that he was the one doing the cursing? I don't think that's what happened. I think he was just like genuinely caught up in the moment and got like a little, maybe too big for his britches, I guess, and <laughs> got sent off. Um, also, the other part of this was, was kind of funny to me. How about MLS just like leaning into the bizarreness of the situation in their league? The league's official account tweeted a video out of the incident with the caption, this is wild. And an, like an, oh my gosh, emoji. Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, I love when they just are like, yeah, crazy stuff happens here. We, we're, we're here for it. Oh, MLS has been doing that for, for some time now. <laughs> They're like, you know. I'm waiting for them to put together a blooper reel of bad MLS goalkeeping just for you. So good. It's on the way. Yeah. So uh, Augustin Zalazar, the overzealous translator, red card. Um, my red card is a possible red card, Andrew. It kind of depends on your reaction to some of these things. This is from Marca. Various tests are being carried out at a youth tournament named the Future of Football. Sorry, excuse me. The Future of Football Cup. PSV is at Alkmaar. Orby Leipzig and Club Bruges are taking part in the competition, which has become an experiment for FIFA to test five new rules that could later be implemented in professional football. Are you ready to play? What does Andrew think of five new rules that could be the future of football right now? I love it. An opportunity for me to expose myself as a complete fraud and embarrass <laughs> myself by loving rules that everyone else is going to hate. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Number one, 30 minute halves. The stopwatch used whenever there is an interruption in play. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, so they're they're considering stopping the clock. 30-minute halves and stopping the clock whenever there's an interruption in play. Michael Kay, the voice of the New York Yankees, would just be all over this. Now, I'm sure they've done extensive studies. 30 minutes sounds short to me. Too short. But uh, if they've studied it and they can identify that 15 minutes of play is roughly... <laughs> nothing happening all right well, i'll be curious i'll be very curious about that one that's yeah. interesting yeah and that's one that michael k is he's totally frustrated by uh, the fact that the clock keeps running in soccer when the yeah. ball goes out so um next one unlimited substitutions unlimited i, I don't like that one because i do enjoy the strategy of how yes. you choose to utilize your substitutions okay yellow card sin bins Yellow cards would carry a greater punishment than they do at present. Players who receive one would be would have to leave the field for five minutes, meaning the team would momentarily be outnumbered. Hmm. That's that's in that's in rugby. I hate it. I, I mean, it's like also it. kind of like a hockey. It's you know, a hockey. Getting get the too. penalty box kind of thing. Uh, um, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know. Right now, I would say no. I don't know that that is something I want, but I'll keep an eye on that one. See how the plays out. All right, down to the last two. Kick-ins instead of throw-ins. And you won't believe who's been advocating for this for like 20 years. Can I guess? Uh, it feels like Go an ahead. Arsene Wenger thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that, 
I feel like Arson, that would that would give an advantage to the kind of teams you hated. Mm. You know, the Tony Pulis, the Sam Allardyce teams. Hmm. And I, finally, I, don't, I don't hate that one. I don't, I, don't one. I, know, I actually don't hate that one. But like a lot of things suddenly become corners and dangerous set pieces. But that's good. That kind of make, makes the game more exciting. Although by the same token, that's mm. also giving like too much of a, be- of a benefit to a team for something that's like not really a big deal. Like a ball going Correct. out of play isn't something that you should necessarily like have that big of a reward for. So you know what? You're right. I've talked myself against that one. Yeah, it kind of neuters corner corner kicks as well. Right. A ball going out over the end line. Um, and dribbling from corners is the final one. So you would you would be able to dribble from the corner. I, I guess I would be okay with that. Mm, it's I up to like a team it. how they choose to you to utilize their corner kicks if they want to dribble in as opposed to kicking it and centering it. Sure. All right. I, anyway. I don't care. That's not a big deal to me. All right. Okay. So that's the future of football cup. Let us know what you think of those 30 minute halves, unlimited, unlimited subs, yellow card, sin bins, kick-ins instead of throw-ins dribbling from corners. Thank you. FIFA. Interesting. FIFA always very forward thinking. That's why I've mm. always been a huge fan of theirs. Uh, all right, JJ, my man of the match, Raul Jimenez, JJ, the Mexican striker, had not played a match in suffering a fractured skull against Arsenal back on November 29th of last year. I mean, wow. we all remember it. it was terrifying um, until this past weekend. He returned. The 30-year-old played 30 minutes in a friendly against Crew Alexandra. He actually hit the bar with a free kick. Uh, not surprisingly, as you would expect, he was wearing protective headgear. And hopefully he'll be a full go for the start of the season. He was actually cleared to return back in May. Yes. Uh, but Wolves, I think it was only going to be for the final game of the season, and Wolves just didn't want to take any unnecessary risks for one game, which wasn't really that meaningful of a game for them. So uh, they played it safe. They're easing him back in. But, boy, it was great. Just, like, really great seeing him back playing again because he's such about, a great player, and that was oh, such yeah. a frightening incident. So good for him. Talk about a career interrupted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, my, so man that's of, my man of the match. Yeah, yeah, my man of the match, Andrew. Uh, it's from Football Three Six Five. My man of the match is Wayne Bridge, but it's also honesty. Uh, Wayne Bridge has revealed why watching Roberto Mancini manage Italy to victory in the Euro Twenty Twenty final last Sunday really hurt him. Bridge and Mancini worked together at Manchester City, but the two did not see eye to eye. With Bridge losing his role as first choice left back before before being sent out on loan by the Italian. The relationship precipitated the demise of Bridges' career as brief spells at West Ham and Sunderland were followed by a move to second-tier Brighton and then a permanent transfer to Reading. Bridge retains a resentment for the 56-year-old who led City to their first Premier League title in 2012. Italy's Euro triumph really hurt me because I hate Mancini. Everyone knows I have no love for him, he told betting expert via the Daily Mirror. I wouldn't say he's the worst I've had, but tactically he isn't that great. What he did was good, which hurts to say. Not only was my family cheering for England, they were cheering that Mancini was losing, so it hurt us even more. I never really got him as a manager. Bridge went as far as to discredit Mancini's Premier League title, claiming it was the player's success, not his. All credit to what he did at Manchester City when winning the league, so City fans will love him. Actually, starting this sentence with all credit is just a lie. Not all credit would have been accurate. But if you look at the players in the squad that he had, Bridge went on, that's what won it, not him as a manager. I fell out with him. I was there for a few months and we got on well, but I didn't enjoy training at all. 
uh, we did team shape. So he goes on to, he goes on to say how Mancini used mannequins mm-hmm. for team shape. And as a fullback, we're told you're going to pass it to him or to him. If you pass it there, then run that way. If you pass it to him, go that way. You'd have two options. And that was it. And playing against mannequins isn't football. Craig Bellamy was trying to ask a question. What happens if this happens in a game? And Mancini would say, shut up and be quiet. And in the end, he sent him home and he wouldn't have him back at training. As a manager, I really don't get it. I love this. I love this honesty. You know, there's always, to be fair, he's done a good job. I think he's done a really good job. And, you know, um, all credit to him. No, no, not all credit to him. If you don't like someone, even if it is for a petty reason of a relationship breakdown or, or something that, like that. Is that a petty reason? It's not a petty reason. It's you don't like him. Just yeah. say it. There's like footballers, you know, they talk around situations so much. I love this bit of honesty. And here's another bit of honesty. My favorite post-match interview. Post-match interviews can all, can, are usually terrible. They're drivel. They give you nothing. They give the journalist nothing. They give the viewer nothing. Uh, but this one from the aforementioned Craig Bellamy was after Wales were beaten in a, a World Cup qualifier. I think it was in 2008 by Finland and then had to face Germany in the next game. And Craig Bellamy is telling exactly how he feels about this defeat. They're not a good side, like I said. You know, we're a, I do feel we're a better side. I know we've just lost. But, um, yeah, you know, they sucker punched us, really, which we've watched their clips. You know, Johansson, um, yeah, he scored. I don't know, don't know how. I don't think he's, he's a good enough player to score, but we just, you know, we're just poor, to be honest. What do you do for Wednesday, Germany? I don't know. You know, don't know. We just try and get over this today. Um, don't know what I do in the next hour, mate. You know, um, yeah. Don't know. I don't know, mate. To be honest. Thanks, Craig. Okay, cheers. <laughs> That's beautiful. It's so good. He's literally been beaten. Johansson has scored, and he's just said, "I don't think he's a good enough player to score." I, pff, we're so rubbish. How has he scored? And. And like, I love the way that the interviewer, or the Sky interviewer, uh, you know, kind of senses the spirit of the moment and goes, and you've got Germany next. Yeah, mate, I haven't a clue what we're going to do. What did he say there? I don't know what I'm doing in the next hour, let alone what we're going to do. <laughs> that is so good. You, uh, To your credit, you've always been very consistent on this because what was it? Was it after Tottenham beat Ajax uh, in the Champions League semifinal and Christian Eriksen was interviewed after the game and he was just like, yeah, we weren't very good. I think they're better than us. I don't know how we did that. <laughs> yeah. And I remember you highlighted that after he said it. Yeah, I love that though. Yeah. Like, like just say what you feel. Obviously, don't you don't I'm not asking you to give away secrets or to betray confidences or anything from the locker room, but say how you feel. I'm you with know? you. Yeah. I I I just think it's there's so much media training that has gone on in the past 20 years in the Premier League, and a lot of it's been necessary, but it's created a bunch of players who talk in these cliches and then go on to be pundits. I'm not naming any names who talk in cliches as in cliches as well. They don't give you anything. But I can, I don't know that I blame players for that because oftentimes when they do try to be honest, sometimes that's the media then gets them into trouble. The, you yeah. know, the gotcha moments where the media is looking for them, you know, to, to say the wrong thing and then they kill them for it. And so players just think, you know what? This is not my job is not this. My job is to go out, play soccer, win games, be good at it. My job is right. not to like dance through hoops to try to answer questions. I'm just going to it's just easier for me to be generic, 
get out of there without saying the wrong. Like, so I, I don't blame that. these guys. I don't blame them for being. That I get way. that too. But we shouldn't have a world in which, you know, expressing feelings, particularly about sport. I mean, Craig mm-hmm. Bellamy thought Johansson wasn't very good, and he can't believe he scored, and he's a bit embarrassed by it. Just say it, you know. Just say it. Yeah. The bit of honesty. Now, I don't want. I don't. I don't need you know, a player coming on to use his platform uh, to, to give his honest opinions about everything. No one uh, wants that. Okay. <laughs> Slippery slope. Slippery slope. Well, there you go. That was great. I enjoyed that. Uh, yeah. Fun podcast. Very cool of Doug McIntyre to, uh, to join us today talking about the Gold Cup and managers denying their players water. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Top-notch management. Wow. Yeah. Gee, I wonder why they fired him. Uh, we'll be back. I think we're going to have a bonus podcast later in the week. I guess from here on out, we're going to try to do bonus pods after each U.S. Um, knockout stage match. Correct, Andrew. We'll we are eyes open for that. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do that because you know we're at the business end now. It's important. Yeah. Um, so keep your eyes open for that. And uh, yeah, this was this was fun. I enjoyed this very much. We'll keep an eye on some of the transfer rumors. We'll look for for all the here we go tweets from Fabrizio Romano. And we will bring those to you on the podcast, as always. Good stuff, my friend. To you, I say... You're not allowed to have any water. Mm, sad. Goodbye. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 